Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums specially curated to accompany your weekly Come Follow Me studies. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Good morning. I'm honored to be here today to address you. I've been blessed with goodly parents, a noble and accomplished wife, and valiant children. I'm honored that they are here today. I'm especially honored to be here with my colleagues, who love and tolerate me more than I deserve, and with you, the students of Brigham Young University. Some of the faces I recognize, you are my students. But in our home, you are our students. Brother Nibley, one of the great teachers here at BYU, used to describe our lives like going to a Broadway play. Arriving late, we missed the opening, and leaving early, we missed the ending. To complicate matters, instead of being spectators, when we arrive at the play, someone pushes us on stage, and we hear a voice saying, Do something intelligent. His point was that in order to do something intelligent in our lives on this stage, we need to know the beginning and ending of the play. And this information we only have through revelation. In the spirit of Brother Nibley's parable, let us sketch out, based on the scriptures, the beginning, the middle, and the ending of our play in order to help us to do something intelligent. In the beginning, the crown of Heavenly Father's creative work was the creation of the man and the woman. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. This statement teaches us of our divine origins and that from the beginning, the measure of our creation is to be like God. Biblical scholars explain the two Hebrew terms behind the words image and likeness as references to being created in the form of God as well as having his divine attributes. President Uchtdorf has summarized what we have learned from modern revelation when he taught, we are created in the image of our heavenly parents. We are God's spirit children. Whereas in ancient Near Eastern temples it was common to have the image of the God in his temple, in the Garden of Eden, God is found in the man and the woman, in the image of the man and the woman. The biblical story further explains Adam and Eve's purpose. As bearers of the divine image, Adam and Eve were to be representatives of God in his creation. They were to multiply and replenish the earth, and they were to care for the earth and the creatures therein. The effects of the fall made it possible for Adam and Eve to experience mortality with agency, through which they could become tested and tried in order to become like their creator. Armed with the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve were able to exercise faith and obedience in discerning between good and evil and choosing the good. According to Mosiah 3.19, we too must discern and choose either the natural man, which is an enemy to God, or yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit to become a saint through the atonement of Christ. Mosiah 3.19 is one of my favorite scriptures. In the summer of 1968, I was sitting with my grandmother Payne at the Manti pageant. I was 14, and it was the day that would ruin my life. We had arrived early, so we had time to visit. And Grandma Payne, she was always interested in our lives. She asked me, 
David Rolfe, what are you planning to do with your life? Being a child of the 60s, I thought long and hard before revealing my plans to a grown-up, a member of the establishment. (laughs) But I took the risk, and I carefully explained to her how I planned to leave our warlike, corrupt, and materialistic society and retire to the woods to study the outdoors, learn to play the guitar, and write poetry. I concluded my short sermon declaring somewhat innocently, Grandmother, I'm going to be the natural man. She smiled at me almost incredulously and said, Boy, are you in trouble. (laughs) Don't you know that the Book of Mormon teaches that the natural man is an enemy to God? I have never forgotten that day. It changed my life. And I always read that passage with a smile but I still learn not to entrust your plans to adults. (laughs) Throughout history, the Lord has commanded his children to be like him. In the Old Testament, he commanded, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In the meridian of time, Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, came to earth to show us the way to live among us and to accomplish the atonement and make it possible to return to our Heavenly Father. Jesus repeated the commandment to be like God in whose image and likeness we are created. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. In the final scene of our play, the Savior returns in his glory to judge us, to see if we have filled the measure of our creation. Elder Oaks has taught, the final judgment is not just an evaluation of a sum total of good and evil acts. What we have done It is an acknowledgment of the final effect of our acts and thoughts, what we have become. Let us turn to another scripture. In Moses chapter 1, God dramatically introduced himself to Moses by showing him the splendor and glory of his creations. And he said, And I have a work for thee, Moses, my son, and thou art in the similitude of mine only begotten. Here the Lord teaches Moses and us, that he is his son, and reminds him of his divine potential as being created in the similitude of the Son. He then reveals to Moses the ultimate purpose of creation. For behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. These passages remind us that creation as described in the Bible is not just an event, but it is a process that continues to this very day. This was eloquently stated years ago in a BYU devotional by one of my good friends, Professor George Tate. Wasn't creation completed a very long time ago? Yes, in a sense it was, but in another sense creation is ongoing since its aim has not been fulfilled to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Thus creation is not complete until we have fulfilled the measure of our creation. The scriptures record God's continued creation of his children through covenant, and covenant is very important. I was reminded this morning of a Jewish midrash on Exodus chapter 19, where a story that tells when God got the children of Israel to the foot of Mount Sinai, he wanted to impress upon them the weight of the covenant they were about to enter. It said that he uprooted Mount Sinai and lifted it in the air, and it covered Uh, It hovered like a barrel over the children of Israel. And then God said, Behold the weight of Mount Sinai. Here is the Torah. If you accept it, all will be well. If not, 
you will learn the weight of Mount Sinai, and this will become your cemetery. As I walked in this building this morning and looked up, I want to tell you this has felt like a week of the weight of Mount Sinai. Adam and Eve are required to be born again through water, spirit, and blood. And ancient Israel is described as the work of my hands, created at Mount Sinai and throughout her history, as being shaped and formed as the clay in the hands of the potter. And Jesus taught us that we, too, must be born again of water and of spirit. Our lives, then, are about creation. They are about what we are becoming. Several years ago, I began a discussion with the Lord. It's been proven to be a pivotal discussion, a pivotal point in my life. One day, in a moment of serious self-reflection, which we come and call midlife crisis, but some of us in this room know that midlife crisis began the day after our missions and continues to the present, I sat down to determine if I had done anything significant with my life. I asked myself in the Lord the simple question, what is my masterpiece? What is the culmination of all my years of training and hard work? As a young person, I longed to be an artist or a musician. But after years of study and practice, I concluded that my talents lay elsewhere. But still, I continued to think of producing in my life a masterpiece. The Lord responded to my question with three thoughts. First, he said to me that my task was to fulfill the measure of my creation, to be in the image and likeness of God, to be holy and perfect like him. I walked over and looked into my spiritual mirror, and the result was not encouraging. <laughs> he then told me that my greatest work was to be my wife, Joanne, and my children. And then the Lord said to me wisely, but you are not a master, so why do you think you can produce a masterpiece? You are just an apprentice in my workshop. Having always been a lover of great art, there's a little boy in this room who has walked every hall in the Louvre with me. It took us three days. I have been familiar with the institution of the apprentices that worked in the shops of the master artists and craftsmen. Especially during the Renaissance, the great artists had workshops where they employed apprentices to help them produce their masterpieces. Leonardo da Vinci served as an apprentice in the studio of Verrocchio, Michelangelo in the studio of Ghirlandaio, and Raphael in the studio of Perugino. These apprentices sought engagement in the workshop to do three things. First, they came to get to know the master, his values, his personality, and to see up close how he produced his masterpieces. Second, they came to learn from the master by doing. They began to do the mundane tasks, sweeping the shop and preparing the pigments and the panels. As they progressed in skill, they were given more responsible tasks, painting backgrounds of mi or minor figures, and they participated in the creation of the great masterpieces. Thirdly, the apprentices came because they aspired to become like their masters. Remember the Lord's conversation with Moses, and I have a work for thee, Moses, my son, and thou art in the similitude of mine only begotten. In Heavenly Father's shop, we, like Moses, are both God's masterpieces in process, in similitude of mine only begotten, as well as his sons and daughters, whom he has engaged in his workshop as apprentices, when he says, 
I have a work for you. I believe the metaphor of the master and his apprentices can help us better understand how we can become his masterpieces, his children in the image of likeness of God. Just like working as an apprentice in a workshop, the first step is to get to know the master. The prophet Joseph Smith has taught us it is the first principle of the gospel to know for a certainty the character of God and to have a correct idea of his perfections and attributes. We know that we can come to know the Lord by studying scriptures, prayer, and by associating with others who know him. In order to help us to know the Master, Heavenly Father has sent his only begotten Son to earth to reveal to us the Father. The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. Thus Jesus came to earth as Heavenly Father's masterpiece in his image, as well as the image of a man, and through his atonement he became the master of the workshop. What we learn from the life of the Savior is that his primary attribute is love. He loves his Father and he loves us, and he expects us as his creations and as his apprentices to love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples." if ye have love one to another. Reading the accounts of the life of the Savior, we can learn what he is like, what he valued, and how he treated others. The Apostle Peter gives us an example of the power of knowing the Savior. Recall with me the account in Matthew when the Savior, who was walking upon the stormy sea, invited Peter to walk out on the water with him. When Peter left the boat and began to go to Jesus, the text records... When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Later, after the death and resurrection of the Savior, Peter found himself the head of the church. Fearless in the face of persecution, Peter was teaching at the temple with John, when a lame beggar asked for alms, Peter, following the example of his Savior, stretched out his hand and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. The second step is, is learning in the workshop by doing. Latter-day Saints are familiar with the gospel of doing. We do good works, we do our home teaching we vi and visiting teaching. We even call temple worship temple work. The scriptures are replete with commandments of doing or not doing. The Savior simply said, come follow me. Imitating the life of Jesus, we learn obedience, compassion, love, and treating our fellows as if they were the master. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. As we become skilled apprentices, we come to realize that the, Lord, that the Master has given us a breathtaking responsibility in the workshop. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were commanded to multiply and replenish the earth, and they were given the gift of procreation, to create the bodies for the spirit children of our heavenly parents in the image of God. This sacred gift of procreation is one of the greatest gifts imaginable and gives us the power to work in the workshop as co-creators with Heavenly Father. Elder Holland has described this role as follows. You will never be more like God at any time in this life 
than when you are expressing that particular power. Of all the titles he has chosen for himself, Father is the one he declares, and creation is his watchword, especially human creation, creation in his image. Genesis 5-3 records, And Adam begat a son in his own likeness, after his image. Here is where the fun begins. As Heavenly Father has given us the privilege of creating these children in our image, as well as his image. The results, as you know, can both be spectacular and comical. When we first held our babies, we would first greet the new spirit with wonder, and then we would begin to note the distribution of the genes from all of our families. As we raise our children in the image and likeness of God, we are often shocked as they assume our image and likeness as well. One morning, a few days after I finished a grueling two years working on my dissertation, we were lying on our bed when our darling two-and-a-half-year-old son raced into the room and began jumping on the bed, gleefully shouting, I am sure glad that darn dissertation is done. But he didn't say darn. (laughs) (laughs) Several years later, our family was living in New York City for the summer, and we were attending a a scholarly workshop uh, together with lots of other aspiring scholars. And many of my colleagues were Christians, actually. And one week we decided uh, to do an ecumenical gesture and to attend the Riverside Church with my Christian uh, colleagues. We got up in the morning and announced to the kids we're going to the Riverside Church. And one of our little boys said, wow, I really don't want to put on my crunchy clothes today. And I really don't want to go to that church. First I pleaded... Then I just grabbed his arm and dragged him out the door. As we got to the Riverside Church, we went through the entrance, and we looked in and we realized that people hadn't brought their children to this meeting. The 5,000 people in the church were sitting there quietly, waiting for the beginning of the meeting, and my 7-year-old son shouted out, But Daddy, this isn't even the true church. So much for the ecumenical gesture of the Seelys uh, that week. One of the most exhilarating jobs in the workshop is to work with Heavenly Father's children in the creation of families. And it is here that our family has experienced the grandest of adventures. But helping to create Heavenly Father's children in His image and likeness is not confined to parenthood. Throughout our lives, we become co-creators with the Master in our relationships with all of those around us, our families, friends, mission companions, and roommates, our colleagues, and especially in the sacred relationship between teachers and students, where the process of creation occurs in our classrooms. Let me share with you several important things that I have learned in the workshop as we have worked with co-creators with the Master. The image and likeness of God is not to be found in outward appearances. It is to be found in our hearts. In our modern culture, especially in the media, where there's an overwhelming attention and concern given to image, it is almost always a reference to outward appearances. A powerful story in the scriptures addresses this issue. When the prophet Samuel was sent to find the Lord's anointed among the sons of Jesse in Bethlehem, he examined the seven eldest sons of Jesse— expecting to find among them the next king of Israel. He was disappointed to find that none of them were the one the Lord had chosen and finally had Jesse send for his youngest son, David. The Lord then taught us a lesson that should pierce our souls. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, 
For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. The Lord wants us to learn to see ourselves and each other as he sees us, not looking at outward appearances, but looking on the heart. In our search for friends, associates, and most importantly, our future spouses, we need to learn to see each other not as man seeth, but as the Lord looketh on the heart. The other day in one of my classes, I had a young woman introduce herself, and as is the custom of my class, we get to ask her three questions. And one of the questions someone asked this young woman was, what are the three most important characteristics of the man you hope to marry someday? And she said, testimony, sensitivity, and a love for children. And in the back row, a young man couldn't restrain himself, and he said, that's me. (laughs) It's amazing to some of us who are around you that sometimes you are incapable of seeing each other the way that we are able to see you. Another thing I have learned in the workshop is that being created in the image and likeness of God does not mean that we are all the same. As spirit children of Heavenly Father, we come to earth with our individuality. Heavenly Father tells us that he has blessed us with different spiritual gifts. And as we look through the scriptures, we see the way the Lord has used many different individuals in his workshop. In the Old Testament, there was a Moses and an Aaron, a Ruth and an Esther. In the New Testament, a Peter and a Paul, a Mary and a Martha. In our day, a Joseph Smith and a Brigham Young and a Gordon B. Hinckley, and a Thomas S. Monson. In the workshop, we come to appreciate that the Lord's masterpieces are created through a great price. Abraham demonstrated the ultimate faith in God when he took his son Isaac to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And the Lord exclaimed, Now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. On that day, Abraham showed us the image of God the father, when he, like his father, demonstrated his willingness to sacrifice his son. And Isaac showed us the image of God the son as he willingly submitted to the will of his father. All of us in this room are products of the many acts of sacrifice of those who have gone before us, of our forefathers, the Seelys who gave up everything to go to Missouri, the Paines who gave up everything Uh, to go to Zion and Salt Lake. Joseph Smith taught us that the sacrifice of all things has power to produce the faith necessary for the enjoyment of life and salvation. My grandfather, J. Leo Seeley, received a mission call in 1914 to serve the Lord in Ireland. He left his wife and his little children for three years, and only recently we discovered the correspondence between he and his wife And we learned the great sacrifice that was made by these two individuals for the building of the kingdom of God. Upon my grandfather's return, he grabbed my grandmother in an embrace, and his daughter Ina, our Aunt Ina, who is going to turn 100 this year, my Aunt Ina leapt to her feet, and she rushed to my grandmother and she chastised this, familiar, uh, this unfamiliar man, saying, You naughty man, leave my mother alone. Because of the power of this man's example and my noble grandmother, my father served a mission, and over 50 of his grandchildren and now his great-grandchildren have gone forth to serve the Lord in missions, in missions that cover the world. 
great-great-grandfather Bramwell crossed the plains seven times in his five missions. That's a math problem, actually. Two of his missions he was living in England for. And great-grandma Assumption began a tradition of sister missionary service in our family, followed by her daughter, her granddaughters, and now her great-granddaughters. As we watch our children and as you watch your friends and family open mission calls, we see the image of God in a person who is willing to follow in the footsteps of the Savior to sacrifice for the salvation of his children. They have the faith and the courage to go wherever the Lord calls them. Esau is another unheralded example of one who showed us how to shape our lives in the image of God. When his brother Jacob tricked him out of the birthright, Esau was enraged to the point of seeking to kill him. After many years of avoiding each other, there was a dramatic moment when Jacob encountered his brother Jacob, fearing for his life. Jacob had prepared gifts for his brother. When the moment of meeting came, Jacob met his brother Esau, who unexpectedly forgave him. Jacob, looking into Esau's forgiving face, exclaimed, For therefore I have seen thy face, as though I had seen the face of God. The image of God is forgiveness. The image of God is repentance. As Brother Nibley used to always remind us, at the end of class, there are two things you can do. You can repent and you can forgive. The third step of our apprenticeship is the most important and perhaps the most difficult. Ultimately, we are commanded to be holy and to be perfect like the Master. And as we live the gospel and fill our lives with knowing and doing, miraculous things happen to us. We begin to be we begin to become like the Savior and become like our Father in heaven. But we cannot complete the process of becoming because only the Master can make a masterpiece and only He can make us in His own image. Let me tell you about something I love. There is a fragment of a Dead Sea Scroll from K4 at Qumran that I had a privilege to work on many years ago. It is a piece of a hymn called Barki Nafshi, Bless all my soul, the Lord. One cold winter morning, I was working in the workroom at the Shrine of the Book in Jerusalem, examining this fragment. It had not yet been mounted in a protective frame, and a gust of wind came through the window and blew this fragment onto the floor. Horrified, I quickly got a large piece of paper, and I knelt down to scoop it up. And as I stood to put it back on the table, I was overcome with emotion, holding in my hands this precious piece of the past a piece of leather that contained the hymn of praise from a Jewish author 2,000 years ago. In this piece of fragment, the hymnist expresses the mystery of acquiring the attributes of God. Bless, O my soul, the Lord. He showed grace to the humble. He has opened their eyes to see his ways and their ears to hear his teaching. And he has circumcised the foreskins of their heart. Paraphrasing from Deuteronomy, another ancient text that I love, the ancient author of this poem acknowledges that it is only God who can, through his grace, open our eyes and ears and change our hearts. This doctrine is taught throughout the scriptures. The Lord says to Ezekiel, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. But occasionally things go wrong in the workshop, and we as the master's masterpieces in progress become distorted or deformed. Sometimes the problem is sin giving in to the enticings of the natural man. Sometimes it is discouragement, disappointment, sickness, and death. The master of the workshop came to earth as 
explained by Alma, and he experienced mortal infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. He has the power to cleanse us, to heal us, and to restore us to his image and likeness. For the atonement brings about the bowels of mercy that can satisfy the demands of justice and encircle them in the arms of his safety. I testify to you this day that the power of the atonement is real and that his grace is sufficient. As we call upon the Savior in repentance, we can find forgiveness. Through the Holy Ghost, he can send encouragement and comfort. We as apprentices in the workshop should remember, as my daughter says, often the Holy Ghost needs helpers. We can help the Master by reaching out to those around us, offering forgiveness, encouragement, and comfort. So here we are at this very moment in our lives in the process of creation, of choosing between the natural man and between becoming the power through the power and grace of our Savior, individuals in the image and likeness of God. As apprentices in his workshop, the Lord has called us to work with him in producing his masterpieces, his children in his own image. We do so as families, as mothers and fathers, as sons and daughters, and as brothers and sisters in the gospel, as missionaries, teachers, students, and through service to our fellow man. There is great joy in the workshop as we see the miraculous growth and changes of heart that occur through the power of the atonement. The eternal and enduring masterpieces that we produce in our lives are not works of art or music or scholarly books or articles. They are the people around us. As we help the master with his masterpieces, we are engaged in his work and his glory, the immortality and eternal life of man. I find joy in being an apprentice in the Savior's workshop, and I aspire to be like him. As we work in the Lord's kingdom, serving his children, we can become like him. I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and he loves us. I testify that he lives, and I pray that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In the name of our Master, Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Come Follow Me podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.